0: Over the last few months, I've become more aware of the issues and hardships that are impacting the Native and Indigenous people on this land that is currently referred to as the United States of America. In attending the Geek Girl Con in Seattle in November, they made mention of what land the conference was taking place on. And in speaking with Natalie Evans from the Some Kind of Brown podcast and doing other research related to the missing and murdered indigenous women, I want to acknowledge that militantly mixed, blurred comics by Furious, all main hustle media podcasts are recorded on what used to be known as the lands of the Chumash and the Tongva people. And while I don't know what else I can really do besides raising awareness in support of the people who formerly possess these lands, I do want to acknowledge that I am currently occupying a space in which they used to thrive and no longer do. This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast.
1: and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed.
0: Yo, this Rashani from the Single Cymcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back listening to Militantly Mixed. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, a.k.a. Mix Girl Maine, And I guess this is kind of the first episode in sort of the alternating schedule that I'm going to have to be doing um, until I replace my system. Uh, last week we had Blurred Comics, this week Military Mix, next week we'll have Blurred Comics, and so on and so forth until I can replace the computer. Uh, I do want to say thank you to everybody who has donated so far. I do think I've hit about $649 and uh, donations towards me replacing my system. And of course, I will be saving as well. So it may take a couple months still. But in the meantime, I'm grateful that I have my old 2010 iMac that I can do editing on. Even though I can tell there is a quality dip, I can hear clickings and and sounds of the computer working in the background when I'm recording. Unfortunately, there's nothing I can do about that. It's, It's actually picking up the sound of it in the recording. So I'm cleaning it up as best as I can, but I can still hear it. It probably bothers me more than it'll bother you, but um, I do feel like I should at least acknowledge it in case you are hearing the dip in quality. It'll all go back to better as soon as I'm able to upgrade my system. Uh, but if you would like to continue to sponsor or donate to my fundraiser for replacing my system, that uh, you can go to paypal.me slash militantlymixed, and all the money that is going into there is going into the savings towards replacing my system. Um, We've also had a few extra increases in the Patreon sponsorship, which I realize now that I'm recording, I haven't organized my thoughts about that yet. So I haven't, um, I can't shout anybody out at the moment, but I did notice a couple more come through. So I will shout them out on social media and in our next episode of Militantly Mixed as well. And because we're still trying to hit that goal of $500 a month in Patreon sponsorship. And I'm also looking into a new avenue to try to gain Outside sponsorship as well for the show, and possibly grant writing if I can figure out time to to do that, because I think there's actual work that we can do with this community and with this podcast um, that is worthy of support from outside to make it continue to go on. Um, so again, that is PayPal.me/militantlymix if you would like to support that. I really, really, really appreciate everybody. I'm I'm overwhelmed by the kind of support I get and the emails that I get. Um, pretty much on a weekly basis doing this show. I know that this work is meaningful for me. I know that it's meaningful for the people that have had access to it because of the messages that I get. So thank you. Continue to send me the messages. Let me know what it is that you need and support so that I can start investigating and incorporating it into the show. And don't forget to go over to the Facebook private group, facebook.com slash groups slash groups militantly mixed podcast um there's been a lot more participation um it's still a very small group but any participation feels like a lot right now but if you go there there is an actual safe space for us to talk about our mixed race issues and our identity or questions or you know uh, commiseration even on that page it is moderated by myself and jonathan davis And it, um, it's just, uh, it's starting to really feel like a place that we can go to have real community support. If you're doing something in mixedness, I do want you to hype yourself on that show so that we or on that platform so that we can share what it is you're doing, um, so that people have access to seeing, hearing, reading things that other mixed race people are doing. So if you're up to something, if you're a YouTube channel, Twitter, Instagram, a podcast, um, a blog, whatever it is that you're doing, if it's in Mixedness, post it up there, hype it up there so that we can follow you and support you in your journey. I did just receive a message on Instagram. Someone is about to start their own Mixed Race podcast and they have a lifestyle blog as well. So I'm gonna get to know them a little bit more and start to share about them. But I think it is important for us to not view the work that we're doing in Mixedness as competitive We don't have time for it to be competitive. We need to be accessing everything that mixed folks are doing so that we feel that we have a place and representation in the culture in media, and media and everything. So if you're doing a podcast, a blog, a YouTube channel, whatever it is that you're doing in mixedness, please send it my way so I can add it to our resource tab. And also you actively join that page and shouting yourself out is important to me as well because I think, you know. Uh, militantly mixed needs to be more than just me. It started with me, but it is us. It's for us, and it is created by us. And I don't want to be—I don't want to be the only voice in this game. I don't. I want there to be more of us. I want there to be as many of us doing content creation of any sort as there are the white folks that are out there doing it and dominating. Media So if you're doing something, please holler at me, let me know what you're doing. Get on the page and let everybody know what you're doing, and we'll grow this thing together. That's what's important to me. Okay, did I already mention this? I don't think I have. Uh, I do want to address why I'm not able to produce more Black History Month-focused episodes this month. Unfortunately, the interviews that I had, either scheduled and/ or recorded, um, were affected by either I lost the recording because I lost the system or I couldn't get them back on schedule in time because I lost my system and I was scrambling to try to get this computer up and running to work. So unfortunately, the the episodes I had planned for this month will not happen this month. Hopefully they will happen in the future. Not that I only focus on mixed Blackness during Black History Month. Of course, I'm a mixed Black woman. I focus on mixed Blackness quite a lot. Um, It's because of the people I have access to predominantly. But, you know, I do think there is something in terms of supporting these uh, cultural heritage months, because it's the time that people seem to be more open to learning about people outside of themselves. But unfortunately, I'm just not going to be able to deliver on that this time around. And I am basically just having to move forward with whoever I've been able to schedule with since my old system went down and my old, old system came back up. (laughs) Um, so if, uh, I will do my best to try to maintain that spirit going forward. I just, unfortunately, it, timing wise is not going to work out for February. But before I get into this week's guest, because I'm really excited about this episode, I had a breakthrough on this episode, so it's important that I share this with y'all. Um, but before I get into that, I just want to let you know I do have a couple events coming up. If you are in the Oceanside slash San Diego area on February 29th, I will be at the Black Nerd Expo at Miracosta College. Um, I will be attending that space as a member of Blurred Comics. My co-host Blurred Vision will be with me, and we will be podcasting in person. There. That doesn't mean live necessarily. We might try to do like a live stream on IG or, or Twitter or something like that if, if the Wi-Fi is up to par. But we're basically going to be recording in that space with exhi- other exhibitors and guests of that event. So if you're going to be in the area, please head on over to MiraCosta College and come check us out. I'll have some stickers and things like that available. At the event but more than anything i want to meet y'all so if you're in the area please come out and and see me and um and we'll you know be mixed black and nerdy together uh the other thing what do i have i'm going to be attending Collexicon in april in las vegas which is one of the largest lgbtq plus women's geekdom festivals I'm re- or conferences i'm really excited about that and looking forward to that and through this interview i just learned there is a mixed race Heritage Conference in Seattle, March 28th. So now I've got to try to spin my wheels and figure out a way to get up there for that, which is being produced in part by my guest today, Sharon H. Chang. So I, I'm looking forward to these opportunities to engage in more mixed race conferences and things like that. So um, I'm excited about trying to figure out a way to get myself up there. Okay. Yeah, I think we're good. Did I already say that I've had the flu? I've, uh, the other reason why I'm sort of not organized right now is I, I had the flu this week. I've I left work early on Tuesday. I skipped work Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I am somehow like I somehow managed to not work at all. I couldn't I was so weak and everything. I couldn't even muster the energy to get up and do any podcasting. So I have taken a full break during this time while I've been recovering. I'm still feeling pretty weak today, but um I'm ready to, to try to work a little bit. So small bursts, I will get this done. But if I, if I do feel a little bit off or seem a little bit off, that's what's been going on. I've been trying to keep everybody aware of that on social media, but, um, uh, I think I have been slipping a little bit in that respect. So, (sighs) okay. I think that's all. Um, my guest this week is Sharon H Chang. She is a author, a social justice photographer, and an activist. She is the author of Hoppa Tales and Other Lies, a mixed race memoir about the Hawaii I never knew, and Raising Mixed Race, Multiracial Asian Children in a Post-Racial World. Those books you can both get available at your local independent bookstore. I do support independent bookstores if you can. It is also available on Amazon, of course, as well for convenience. But in so much as you can put money back into your own community, please do try to do that. And uh, she also has a blog, which is uh, Sharon H dot com. I will put links to all her stuff in the show notes so that you can you can check her out and follow her on social media. We had an amazing conversation. I like I said, I had a little bit of a breakthrough during this talk and what that had to do with kind of clearing out the path to a different way of accessing her- your heritage. I tend to be really focused on food and language as a way, because those seem to be the things that we should have easy access to and yet uh, it informs my not enoughness sometimes when I was like at 42 how do I not speak Japanese yet Um, how do I not know how to cook more than two dishes Japanese dishes things like that but when I was speaking with Sharon she she brought up a really good point about when you struggle to find ways to connect to your culture uh, there's nothing preventing you from researching yourself and um, while I do do that I wasn't really putting it in terms of a way to investigate my own heritage through understanding the histories of the cultures that we come from. Here in, a, in the United States, um, the the history we learn is European history and American history, and we don't really learn much more than blips in terms of what happens in the rest of the world. So, Sharon has actively investigated her heritage through finding out the political history of her the country she comes from, her family come from, and other. Avenues that way, and and talking to her about that, it really did kind of blow that open for me. It's something I'm doing on sort of a small scale, but not to the degree that she was discussing. And it really, it's given me a new energy, a new pathway of something to access where I come from. And I'm really looking forward to kind of going on that journey now with this, with the ideas and the things that that she and I discussed. So I'm excited to share it with y'all today. Uh, Without further ado. Please help me in welcoming Sharon H. Chang to the militantly mixed family. to everybody and let everybody know what you're doing and where, where you're from,
2: everything. All right. So my name is Sharon H. Chang. I'm a author, photographer, and activist. I do a lot of different stuff, um, but I think for this audience, hello, um, <laughs> I would mention that I've written two books on multiraciality. So the first one was called Raising Mixed Race. The second is called Hoppa Tales and Other Lies. And then I am a social justice photographer, so I do a lot of on-the-ground photography at marches, rallies, and protests, and I work with grassroots groups and nonprofit. Um, and then I am uh, I also do a little bit of equity consulting with schools, um, and that mm-hmm. is partially um, doing mixed-race workshops for parents, how to support children and having positive multiracial identity. And then also some Race 101 training, just parents learning how to talk to their kids about race and racism. Uh, And then lastly, I would say... I'm helping organize the um, Mixed-Race Seattle Conference, which is coming up March 28th. Yes. Do I want to say anything else? I I can also mention my two long-term projects. So my my, uh, current long-term writing project is a family memoir about the Taiwanese side of my family. I am a second-generation Taiwanese mixed American. I also sometimes say second-generation biracial Taiwanese American. My father is a Taiwanese immigrant who came to the U.S. in his 20s. Where he met my white New England mother. Um, I'm the first uh, US born child on the Taiwanese side of my family and mm. also the first biracial Asian white child on the Taiwanese side of my family. Um, oh. And my Taiwanese family lived through, has lived in Taiwan for five generations, lived through three colonial regimes. A lot of people don't know that Taiwan mm. was colonized for 400 years. So right. I'm in the process of reclaiming uh, my Taiwanese identity, writing down that family history and decolonizing that, right. that POC side of myself that ugh, it took me like four decades of life to even be like, oh, wait, what? Right, <laughs> same. for four colonized de- for 400 years and like, I don't or my my home country and then my my family lived through three colonial regimes. Like, how am I not figuring this out till now? Well, that's what right. happens. You live in a white supremacy. So
0: exactly. Yeah, that's no. amazing. I'm so excited that you're doing that work. I mean, same with me at, at 42. I'm finally in this place where like I get where all my things are happening right now. Like before it was just like, yeah, we're British. My, my the white side is British. Uh, And um, I was like, you know, okay, it's okay. It's okay. I grew up with one white lady, my British grandmother. I get it. Okay. But now, like, as a 40 year old, I'm like, oh my gosh, so much of what we grew up around was that colonialist mentality, Um, comments about her making her babies creamy. with her, you know, whiteness and things like that, you know, um, having dolly yeah. vlogs and uh, yeah, there's other, other really racist things that like, I think British people get a pass nowadays because their humor is so funny that people are just like, oh, they're not as racist as Americans, but it's like, who do you think were the ones who put us on show? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you like, know,
2: who colonized the U.S.
0: <laughs> Asia, you know, or most of Asia and stuff like that too. Um, you know, the French, the English, those were the big, the big hitters, you know, Spanish as well. Uh, I think I think the Spanish also get a pass on being colonizers, although there's literally an entire continent developed now because of their colonization. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I um, I'm glad you're doing that work. I think that's a really important work for us to be doing, whether we do it on a grand scale or we do it in our own families, because we don't really understand, we may not even really understand the depths of the uh, generational trauma that we experience because of colonization, and in particular on, I'm going to m- make an assumption based off of my Asian side and others that I've spoken to, uh, you can tell me if it's not the same for you, is that we don't talk about anything. So we're, we're passing on generational trauma without explaining what traumatized us, you know? Mm. Uh, I
2: think to some degree that's happening on the Taiwan side. Like, for example, the fact that no one can remember the story of whoever was aboriginal in our family. And I'm, I've i been able to more or less corroborate that based on DNA testing by multiple, uh, by myself, my sister, my cousin, and cross-referencing it against intensive historical research. So it's it's there. It can't, it's clearly there. But nobody can remember who that person mm-hmm. or people were. They were probably women, um, aboriginal women. Mm-hmm. And... Um, You know, it's not hard to imagine that there was like, eh, maybe some shame, maybe like, oh, we're just going to absorb this person into the family. This is not an important story to keep or whatever. We're not going to talk about it. Um, So, yeah, in that sense. But in terms of our Taiwanese identity, my family's really vocal about that because they were oppressed for so, so long. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And so I grew up with my dad very explicitly saying, you are Taiwanese. You are not Chinese. Chinese. And telling me stories about um, the 228 massacre that happened in Taiwan, which my uncle, my Taiwanese grandfather, was able to see from the clinic where he, he worked as a doctor. He could see it through mm. the window. He could see a lot of the violence. And, so, and then my, my dad was forbidden to speak Taiwanese in school by the Chiang Kai-shek regime. Which, so it just kind of was like they lived through a lot and right. couldn't be vocal for a long time. And then by the time I was born... Taiwan was transitioning to democracy and my dad was like, oh, child. <laughs> <laughs> Here's <laughs> all the things. This is where you come from. I could not talk about those things when I was growing up. I'm going to talk about them to you now. And it just took me so long to connect the dots because not in Taiwan, also living in this white supremacy where we don't learn about that kind of stuff in school.
0: Right. So, yeah. And that, I would say, kind of is really radical of your father to, to be able to voice that after everything that he went to. That, So I know he was forbidden to speak Taiwanese, but did he get back to being able to speak it eventually?
2: I mean, they spoke it at home anyway. They did, okay. So I think, uh, you know, Taiwanese resistance throughout all those eras of colonization, part of it looked like holding on to the language, even though, you know, like the Japanese forbid it. And then uh, Chiang Kai-shek, his authoritarian rule also forbid it. They still managed to hold on to that language by speaking it at home or with friends. So he proudly speaks Taiwanese. If I'm in Taiwan with him, he would prefer to speak Taiwanese, but he can also speak Mandarin Chinese if he needs to.
0: Is it easy to maneuver through Taiwan speaking both languages or predominantly Mandarin is taken over?
2: Mandarin is the official language now. Yeah. yeah
0: so do you get to speak any?
2: I speak some Chinese, not a lot and know like a few words of Taiwanese.
0: <laughs> that, that I think is the other issue, especially on the mixed Asian side that I experienced is, um, when my Japanese grandmother was from the war bride, third wave war bride, um, she had to take American domesticity classes when she came here. She was told not to teach her children Japanese because it's already bad enough. They're half breeds. You don't want to confuse their brains. So even by the time I come around, she's still so, she's American citizen. She's been here, she's married, she's got her kids and she still will not teach me Japanese, even mm-hmm. though I'm in her house. Um, it takes until I'm in college. No, actually in college, I asked her to help me and she won't. Mm-hmm. But when I was in my thirties, so at this point I'm in my thirties. So she would have been in America for about 40 some odd years, maybe 50 years. And that's when I start speaking to her in what little Japanese I've managed to learn over the years. And she will respond back. It took that long.
2: Yeah. We're having a similar situation with my Japanese mother-in-law. So my husband is also biracial. His mother is a Japanese immigrant. Similar came in her 20s. Um, she did not teach her children Japanese. Different generation than your grandmother, but still a legacy of feeling like I have to teach my kids English. So even if it wasn't directly messaged her, she still internalized that. And so uh, when my son was born and, you know, I, both my husband and I feel a lot of sadness around this loss of language. We were like, okay, we support you. Like speak to our son only in Japanese. That's the only way he can really learn. Mm -hmm. And like English is still her second language. It's still not as comfortable for her. So I was like, oh, it's no big deal. Just speak to him in Japanese. She wouldn't do it. Yeah, (laughs) And, And we would try and try and try and she just, she wouldn't or couldn't or I don't know. And then we took our son to Asia last year. That was his first time there. And when he came back, he really connected with Japan, especially he started bothering me to take Japanese classes. Good. He started Japanese school. When he started Japanese school, that's when she started speaking Japanese.
0: Oh, good. Me. Okay. But so again,
2: it took that long. Yeah. And the persistence and like the real showing of commitment on our part and trying to destigmatize that that multiple language mm-hmm. learning here to yeah. begin that process. So it's frustrating. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah no it is
2: I, and I, I just, it's also frustrating because my dad is um he speaks four languages so he yeah he speaks his first language was taiwanese and then he learned mandarin chinese in school because he you know that was the first language uh, national language and then you know immigrated to the u.s learned english here and then also studied japanese my um grandparents were, didn't speak very good chinese they spoke taiwanese and japanese because they grew up during the Japanese colonization so he studied Japanese because I think it reminded him of them and also he was raised around some Japanese so he speaks four languages really common in Taiwan for people to be multilingual and it's just like a cultural standard it's not surprising to anybody and it's frustrating to me it has always been frustrating to me growing up in the U.S. that it's such a monolingual culture here and there's so much stigma around learning multiple languages and not a lot of institutional support even still Mm -hmm. um because like i've seen a, con- a lot of models where in a lot of cultures where it's just a given you know and i'm like yeah. what's it with this country where we can only ever speak english it's interesting yeah.
0: <laughs> it's it's beyond frustrating cuz like i feel like there's such a loss of access to like besides language the next real deep access point for american mixed people is food mm-hmm. and so like why is it that my Japanese grandmother still cooked all of our good Japanese food, but wouldn't speak the language, you know, and even the way I remember her describing food, like yakisoba was one of my favorite things she would make and she would describe it as, oh, that's, um, that's like Japanese chow mein well, why don't you just tell me in Japanese, like in our language, what this food is instead of finding other cultures to tell me what my food is in English, you know? yeah. um, uh, so like, I remember a lot of my favorite Japanese foods being explained to me through other cultures, um, which I thought was a very strange thing. Also, she didn't teach me how to cook. The kitchen was like her one safe space. It was the one thing that was important to her. She wanted to be, a chef when she was younger. And even though she tested higher in school, her brother was the one who got to go to school, not her, like university. Mm -hmm. So she didn't get to live her dream. So the kitchen is her domain and she doesn't, nobody goes in there. That's her space. So I didn't get to learn how to cook it. I just got to eat it. And then the way she explains it to me is through other Mm. languages right um and I think that that is uh well one I think that's the, the Japanese assimilation thing that I don't know exists quite as heavily in other Asian cultures but Japanese do move to a place assimilate and try to lose the culture because of all the the fear of ra- racism and 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 things like that but it's it's always a point that's really frustrating because and I find it with my other Asian friends too especially my mixed other Asian friends it's like half of them have access half of them don't and it's just this question of why you know, or why don't mm-hmm. we talk about this, and then the other bit is, if I had Korean friends, I couldn't bring them home, <laughs> you know, like oh you know, yeah. things like, that, you know, but same with the black friends, like even though I was black, my grandma we, we we weren't allowed to talk about me being black, my none of my family knew we were black, and things like that, um but like you know there's there was this divide where I always knew like if I really liked Korean people, I had to be careful about mentioning that, you know, right. And it was like, but we're the ones who messed up. Like they didn't do it; (laughs) they didn't do to us. We did to them. Like, why? (laughs) Right? Yeah, I think
2: that's a really great point you make about um, for a lot of mixed folks. Transnational politics are really core in our identity and our in the way we move through our life and through communities. But like again, U.S. is very ethnocentric, so it's like. A lot of Americans have no analysis outside of U.S. politics. But for me, that has never, ever worked. Just things like being raised and being told explicitly, you are not Taiwanese. I mean, you are not Chinese. You're Taiwanese. Signaled right away, like, oh, this is a huge part of who I am as a person. And my family is this politic from another country. Right. (laughs) Like, and those dynamics and trying to figure out why my Akong and ama were fluent in Japanese and Taiwanese, but my ama could never speak Chinese. Like that kind of stuff.
0: That's um,
2: Yeah. So it never felt right to only define myself through US history or any of those things. And it's still true to this day. It's 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 not complete to just follow the news here. It's like doesn't tell me everything right. about our story.
1: <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. Do you feel that in coming to the States your father was able to reclaim on your behalf his Taiwaneseness? Like oh,
2: yes. Absolutely. That's a great question. So he grew up um during a uh, an era called the white terror in taiwan which Ooh. was which began his his <laughs> yeah his uh, his birth almost exactly consi- coincided with the arrival of chung kai-shek uh, okay. when chung kai-shek fled from china after losing the quote-unquote civil war there to mao zedong he yeah. came and took over taiwan that's right around the time my dad was born and then he chung kai-shek instituted this authoritarian one-party rule for mm. the entire time my dad was growing up mm-hmm. um so during that time, there was, you know, they could arrest you for any reason, you could not speak out against the government, you had to speak Chinese, you had to be very careful about what you said, there was like special police that would always be listening. And so there was um, like a, an enforced silence, a culture of silence. Mm-hmm. When my dad was growing up and Maya Gong did not tell him about a lot of the violence that had happened or a lot of the history, because he didn't want... um family to get in trouble he would have gotten arrested and maybe executed Mm
1: -hmm. so
2: my dad didn't actually fully know his history and in Mm -hmm. schools even they didn't teach Taiwanese history they taught mainland Chinese history so like my dad was telling me on my last visit he said I knew the name of like every river in China but I didn't know the name of a single river in Taiwan so that was how he grew up when he came to the U.S. this is only something I've discovered recently is when he first started learning about Mm -hmm. what had really happened in Taiwan because there was more access and freedom to access knowledge here. Right. So that's when he started redefining himself as Taiwanese. And then also there were a lot of blacklisted Taiwanese during that time who were living in exile here in the U.S. because mm. they were dissidents and they were not allowed to be, come to Taiwan. And they would give talks around the U.S. And they would invite like Taiwanese diaspora, like Taiwanese Americans to come and listen. So he went to some of those talks and he just became politicized here in the U.S. <laughs> so weird yeah. um, by like, you know, these Tony's to really get passionate about about his country in that way. And then, you know, shortly after had us, his kids. So we were sort of born into his awakening, which is mm. really interesting to think about. I mean, the other thing, I could go on and on. There's so much research I'm doing. The other thing that's complicated about that is that Chiang Kai shek was sponsored by the US. Ooh. So
0: <laughs> we do have, a, Americans do have a history of being on the wrong side of history a lot
2: (laughs) yeah they kind of backed him and you know and and didn't do anything there was this huge massacre I told you about and and the U.S. did not step in and and up to maybe 28,000 Taiwanese were killed during that massacre so complicated to be like oh I have to leave my home country and come to like you know, basically a colonizers space to like, even know my real history because I can't learn it at home. You know what I mean? It's not an <laughs> uncomfortable story all over <laughs> the world. Right?
0: Like a colonizer, another, col- you gotta go to another colonizer space who supported a different colonizer to take away your family's history, your country's history. Like God, that's too many layers of colonization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no <that's>
1: <laughs> hey, hey, this is Rebecca Vega Romero. You might remember me from episode number 27 at The Chameleon. I call myself that because I look like every race because my family comes from every place. I'm making a film about dating well mixed. It's going to be called The Question and we are fundraising now on Seed&Spark. Seed&Spark is a platform that raises money for independent films and tries to lift up diverse voices like ours. We are looking to raise 10 k to get this film from pre-pro into production into film festivals. And we would love your help. If you can find us on the platform, the link will be in the show notes. Please follow us. It makes a big difference on that platform. And if you feel moved, please contribute. After all, we all know dating isn't easy, but dating while mixed is absurd. (laughs) <laughs>
2: yeah, because Taiwan has been colonized by, it was colonized by the Dutch and the Spanish, and then the, uh, so also by mainland China, different regimes, and then also by Japan, and then by Chiang Kai-shek, so that that's also confusing for people, because we're used to like this kind of, oh, there was one colonizer, that kind of yeah. understanding, but it's like, what happens when you're colonized with different world imperial regimes, I don't know, it's very yeah confusing
0: (laughs) yeah it's a it it is pretty uh, complicated and being mixed especially when you are mixed with the colonizer there is the or uh, i guess the better way to say this is mixed with your colonizer uh (laughs) you know like that's a thing too oh in my case you know being i have really complicated relationships with my british understanding um my other whiteness i don't really know them very well like i don't i only met my grandfather a few times Um, And he's, like, Irish, German, Appalachian. They had been here since the early 1700s, so they predate America becoming America. Um, They Mm -hmm. are mountain folk and things like that. Were they, yes, they absolutely get credit for being colonizer because they took land that wasn't theirs, but Mm -hmm. they didn't necessarily own slaves that I know of or can trace back to or anything like Mm -hmm. that. So in my case, I'm more uncomfortable by them having taken a, uh, taking a land you know, from people, indigenous people that were there before and, and staking some claim over it. But then with the British side, like a little legitimate tracing back of, of slave owners and things exists and um, to both try to enjoy aspects of British culture by at the same time remembering that they are the colonizer, you know, makes my stomach hurt. And I, <laughs> I you know, I, I, it really stresses me out. Um, I also have this really weird relationship to the union jack flag in particular Mm. and i i find it problematic that i like it so much and yet at the same like because it is literally if there's anything more the symbol of a colonizer it is their flag Mm. and you know i just like i i'm trying to figure out how to deal with that now as a 42 year old woman that i let slide throughout all of my life Mm. um but then I talk about being Japanese and being excited about that. And as I get older, too, learning about all the things that the Japanese did. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, the Japanese is a colonizer, too. Like, you know, I didn't know. You know, I, I thought of the Japanese as oppressed because I thought about what America did to Japan. And I never really thought about a broader history until I started getting older. So, um,
2: yeah, and that's the um, the the colonization that my grandparents lived through in Taiwan. So Taiwan mm-hmm. was... Te- technically Japan's first official colony mm. when they started their you know their doctrine of expansion um and so that's the era that my grandparents grew up under mm. and here's a trippy thing cuz since we're going down this road my husband's family were Japanese settlers in Taiwan at oh, no. that time <laughs> It took us a while to figure out like what was going on, because we didn't even know our histories that well. We're like, when I met my mother in law, she used to joke, Oh, Sharon, I was made in Taiwan, but born in Japan. And I was like, What are you talking about? So it has literally taken a long period of research to even understand those intersecting histories. And then we have to deal with all the emotions that come up like, oh, okay. I ended up marrying into not only like I married into also the, the Asian colonizers of my Asian paternal homeland. Like what are the odds that that would happen? Um, and so, you know, I I'm going to deal with that in whatever way I am and they're going to deal with, you know, I think there's, we're amicable and we, we kind of enjoy figuring that history out and wondering if our family members ever met, but, um, I think for my son that will be interesting because right. he now is going to embody like I don't I'm not Japanese so I don't fully embody that but he does now yeah. he embodies all of those intersecting histories you know it'll it'll probably come up for him at some point I'm not sure how right. he'll piece it out
0: <laughs> and since so he has access to his albacha and he can pretty much yeah. her on a deep level where that might inform his japanese heavily. <laughs> It's a trip.
2: It really is. I think this is some of the most important work mixed race people can do because so many mixed race people embody both colonizer and colonized, mm-hmm. and so reclaiming the stories of all the sides of our family, as painful as it can be, or joyous as can be, is really empowering. That's kind of been my middle, approaching middle aged life lesson. Is I think I was just like always working through the feeling of not being enough of anything for a long time, and then I just got to where I was like, I am so done with that feeling of like am I really Taiwanese? Am I really American? And just like, I'm done with that. I'm going to just be, you know, from now on, I get to say I am Taiwanese American. Like I am, yeah. <laughs> I just am like I was raised. Yeah. 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 And so I, for me, a lot of that reclamation since I can't do it through language has been through history. Cause I love history and interviewing and writing and photography. So, um, and a little bit through food, but yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you, um i'm actually really excited about now knowing a little bit more of the picture of this idea of reclaiming through history because i i have been so focused in my own life on the language and the food is the only access point i have to mm-hmm. like how can i have gotten to 42 and i don't know the language yet blah blah, blah blah you know frustrations about that but the history like i like the genealogy aspects of the things that i can find in my family but i never really connected to what is actually happening historically at the time that these people in my life that I'm able to trace mm. back to exist that you've got me on a new path though. like
2: it's, I, like, it's I, fun because like, you know <laughs> for me, I was the same where I was always feeling defeated because I felt like I don't know if I'll ever be able to speak any of my father's languages in my lifetime I can do okay in Chinese but I just felt defeated about it constantly and I was yeah. like I'm never going to be enough I'm never going to speak the language and then food I'm like I can cook and sometimes I enjoy cooking and sometimes I don't enjoy cooking. So that just wasn't the best end for me. I like, a lot of times I'd rather be out, you know, like at a rally or a march or doing some kind of grassroots organizing than home, like meticulously learning how to cook my Taiwanese (laughs) (laughs) herbs. And so I also was starting to feel kind of defeated and like a failure in that regard. And same where I was like, well, that must be all there is. And since I can't do those things and I don't know how to celebrate the holidays and I then I just I just can't win. Right. Um, but then recently I was like, you know, maybe I take my strengths and I use those. I love researching. I love history. I love writing and connecting those dots and telling stories. Um So I just have been doing a lot of intensive research and then went to Taiwan recently for the election, which is the first I told my dad, I said, you know, I'm political. That's what I am. That's my in. Taiwanese people are very political these days. And I was like, I can't maybe share language or food fully with you, but like I can share politics with you. Like I can talk to you about politics. I can talk to you about democracy. I can talk to you about fighting for liberation and justice. And. Mm I can do this research and learn about Taiwan history and collect stories and do interviews and photographs. So I was like, I'm coming for the election. I'd never been there. So my dad could never vote for a president. Their first democratic presidential election was in 1996. So it was a big deal um, and still is a big deal for him. So I went and I interviewed my elders. I photographed, I filmed them. I was like talking up all the history. And they were so impressed and they were actually confiding in me. And it was this mm. beautiful moment where I was like, oh, this is my in. Like, this is what I'm strong at. And, you know, telling me, this is my heritage as a Taiwanese person. Right. Like I come from many, um, you know, colonized generations in Taiwan. And this is what my ancestors handed to me was this resistance, this this seed of resistance. And it's bringing me back to my homeland. Right. And, and other Taiwanese people are like, oh, you know so much about Taiwanese history, like, more than we do. <laughs> that was a weird moment. I was, never thought I would hear anyone say that as a mixed person, that I would know more about my Asian homeland than they did being there. You know, it was weird. So, But
0: that speaks a lot to how powerful colonization is, you know. Right. Like, so, and in this, in this strange way that you find validation in your taiwanese You're also revealing how powerful the colonizer is in the space that they occupy. Mm Like, oh, my gosh, that's 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 awesome. And I'm so glad. But I
2: just need to say I'm going to do like a plug here because we're coming up. We're also coming up on our presidential election. I was blown away. Taiwan reelected, you know, their incumbent, who is a woman and she's also of partial and aboriginal descent. So she's also indigenous to the land. And I was, like, really proud of my people. I'm, like, because they had also a populist candidate, not unlike mm. our current president. Mm. And I just thought, oh, he's going he's gonna to win because we just yeah. went through this in the U.S. Like, that's just what happens. And he didn't. She won by a landslide. Like, the oh, Taiwanese people are, like, oh, no. Hell no. We're not going to go there. And I was, like, awesome. And what's up with the U.S.? <laughs>
0: yeah, like, <laughs> how, how do we get there? Please, how do we get there? I was, um...
2: like, Taiwan has had four presidents and already has a woman and an indigenous woman in in office and we've had 45 and we've only had one president of color and all men like what's going on
0: yes oh my goodness i well i'm excited and proud of the of the taiwanese people for getting that done hopefully that work gets done here soon
2: too Ah! i mean more than anything it's just like made me reflect i was like what what is that i mean it just there's just moments especially when you leave the u.s and then you come back you that the, just the intensity of white supremacy here will really strike you sometimes. Like, Oh dang, it is yeah. so bad here. Like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah.
0: Seriously. I should say um,
2: patriarchal supremacy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's, it's a big umbrella. <laughs> uh, I want to make sure that I get you out of here on time. So I do like to ask all my guests as we start to wrap up the show and I know we deal with a lot of trauma and, pain in our in our past but we have a lot of joy but we don't often get to talk about our joy so mm. what do you love the most about being mixed race
2: I love that you're asking that because I agree for a long time I was just doing mixed work that was all about pain and trauma and then at some point I thought wait a second I'm just leaving feeling empty mm-hmm. you know we get to be proud too um gosh I think hmm. Isn't it funny that I'm having a hard time answering this question too? Everybody
0: (laughs) does. That's the other part is everybody struggles with this.
2: Um, We are
0: so rooted in trauma. Yeah, we are. It's almost uncomfortable to allow ourselves to find joy in almost any aspect of our lives. I know. And
2: I wonder, I think the word "mixed" is like hard for me sometimes. Like I'm not sure. Like, I think we lack good language to describe who we are at this point. And so we use words like "mixed," but they're inadequate. And so sometimes I hear that word and I'm like, is that something I'm proud of but I will say this I don't know if, if it's like a mixed race pride but I'm certainly proud of being multicultural and transnational which I think comprises my mixedness sure. um there's a lot of things that are hard about that and I'm still unpacking and trying to reclaim a lot mm-hmm. but um you know I grew up my parents had resources so I grew up going back and forth to see my Taiwanese family every year we lived in China for a year um and then I would go you know, my white family had their issues, but we would go to New England every year and you know, spend time with them. And they're fairly newer to the US. So um, like my mother's half Czechoslovakian and my great grandmother came through Ellis Island alone oh. when she was 16. She was a peasant from a peasant farming family and they needed money. So she came alone and worked in the factories. And oh, wow. I knew her growing up because she died when she was 103. So or 101. Oh. So, like, you know, being close to that your Euro- like Eastern European heritage. And, like, going and staying at my great Grammy's house and being like, I'm related to you. <laughs> it's a woman with this thick European. Yeah, like, when you have a
0: face like this and you're next to your white relative, you're just like, how?
2: <laughs> oh, and then she's an immigrant, too, right? And so she's got this thick accent, doesn't speak English that well. And then I'm, like, going to Taiwan and, like, hanging out with my Taiwanese family and, like, eating totally different food and hearing their accents. And then I've got, like, an immigrant parent. Sometimes that stuff felt so confusing as a kid. Mm-hmm. But now in retrospect, I look back and realize there's a lot of people who don't have that experience. And it is rich. It's very rich. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of beautiful things to, to pull from that. And I'm working now to, to appreciate those things more. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's great. I, I Thank you so much for doing this. I'm, I'm, and even with the little hiccups at the beginning of how long it took me to get online and everything, I really appreciate it. We needed like five hours to talk. And honestly, please come back. Please tell everybody again uh, what books that they can get that you have written, how they can access your photography and your activism, how they can follow you, everything.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So my books are Raising Mixed Race and Hoppa Tales and Other Lies. You can find me on my website, SharonHChang.com, and there are links to all my social media there. And then I'm co-organizing, very excited, a uh, Mixed-Race Seattle conference, which is coming up March 28th. It's free and open to the public. If you are in Seattle or can make it here, we would love to see you. You can find it uh, information about it on my uh, blog and also on Facebook.
0: Amazing. I'm so excited about that. And hopefully...
2: Can you come?
0: If I can figure it out, I absolutely will try because I, I want to be in more of these spaces and I've been like slowly building my way up towards it. That and
2: It's not a long flight. I don't know financially not, um, what that looks like for you because I know it can be hard. Yeah,
0: uh, It'll be amazing. I will 100% I'm gonna try. try it. <laughs> yes, please. I will, I'm going to look up the details today and uh, and try to make that work. Thank you so much again. I... I cannot wait to talk to you again I'm really looking forward to continuing to follow all the things that you're doing and Otherwise, thank you for it's doing so nice to the, me. Heritage, uh, the heritage conference yeah. I appreciate so much thank we you need it
2: so thank you for this podcast we need this too a lot and we need it done by us not by, uh, by yes. us yes by us. <laughs> by us for us right yes. <laughs>
0: Militantly Mixed is a main Hustle Media podcast, produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan The One. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship, or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time-only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main
1: hustle.